0: Hi, this is Evan Handler, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken.
1: Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin.
2: Oh my God! Oh, yes! She just totally captures the
1: excitement of of rock stars. And famous athletes, and famous comedians sort of an insider's view from the outside.
3: The warmth and wit of Vicky's
4: writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon?
2: Vicky wrote a book?
4: Vicki Abelson's
0: long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon.
1: Hey, DJ, so I I reconnected recently with someone that I knew long ago, and I realized I had a video of us. So I'm trying to figure out where it is and how to find it, and I find it, and it's on a VHS tape. Do you even know what a VHS tape is, DJ? I do. You do. Okay. Did you have a VCR when you were a kid?
3: Yeah, top loader.
1: Oh, God, top loader. Oh, God. (laughs) Well... I have a bunch of my memories on VHS tapes, and I've got to transfer that shit over to a DVD because I can't watch. I don't have a VCR. I mean, I actually do have a VCR <laughs> in my closet, but it's not hooked up, and I don't plan on hooking it up. And Lord knows what, what those I, – I wouldn't even know how to use it anymore. I wouldn't
3: trust it. And and eat right. up your
1: tape. It, yeah, definitely. would probably eat it up. So anyway, everybody out there. Dust off your old VHS and camcorda cassette tapes and get them transferred to DVD by MP84 video and photo archiving because I know I'm going to do it. So if you have an adult child that tells you that they had a crappy childhood, you can whip out the DVD and prove them wrong. Much cheaper than therapy. Call MP84 at 310 753 Five seven, nine, nine. They'll do free pickup and delivery anywhere in L.A., and I'm sure you can work out shipping from anywhere else. They also do photo slideshows for any occasion, with or without music, for rock-bottom prices. Call 310-753-5799. You'll be glad you did. And tell them Vicki sent you, and you'll get a free hour in the first 10 hours transferred. MP84, transfer that stuff.
3: Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicky's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki.
1: Hey, DJ Weezy. How you guys doing tonight? Excellent. How are you doing? Doing all right. You know, I've had a really kind of strange day. It's been a very strange time, but... Um, <sighs> Are you guys finding that your relationships are altering as a result of what's going on politically because for me I'll just say quickly that you know I made my my Facebook wall of vicocracy, which um you know no Hillary bashing no Obama bashing no Trump praising on my page I'm not telling anybody else what to do I'm just saying what's okay for me and of course people are not respecting that it's not my friends who mm-hmm. are although I shouldn't really say that because a couple of my friends have overstepped boundaries, but it's mostly um, my page is public because of, of this stuff that we do, and so people can anybody can just go on my page and comment on a thread, and so people follow, I- and so I don't I don't know a lot of those people, and and the vitriol, the the anger and the hatred and the nasty mm-hmm. that has surfaced on my wall, and so you know I've blocked like. Uh, and I said, I'm going to block, you know, if if you are not nice, you know, it's one thing to have an opinion. I really don't want your stuff here. Yeah. But if you're going to put it up here and you're going to be nasty, then goodbye, right? So, I think...
3: I saw a particularly nasty one on your page today. Yeah, actually. yeah. and there's there's <laughs> been
1: a few of them. And so, last week, I blocked somebody. And I, I can't remember if we talked about it or not, but... The person went and gave me a one-star review on Amazon, a scathing review, and I matched the name up. I knew, and then another one did it, and today another one did it. It
2: was the name Donald J. (laughs) Trump,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so um, I started doing a little research around it, and uh, and 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 I wrote these few sentences. Politics is bleeding over into commerce and art. Trump supporters threatened to boycott Pepsi when PepsiCo CEO and the PepsiCo CEO was misquoted. When Grubhub CEO Matt Maloney called for the resignation of any employee who disagreed with inclusive rights for all, Trump supporters called for a boycott of Grubhub. The Amazon page for Megan Kelly's just drop bestseller Settle for More was littered with one-star reviews after a pro-Trump Reddit forum called for an online attack. And the trickle-down is affecting lesser-knowns as well, like me. I declared my Facebook page a vicocracy stating any anti-Hillary Obama bashing would be deleted from my wall and its posters blocked. When I followed through, after a personal attack was leveled at me for posting a pro-Clinton recount article, A follower, previously unbeknownst to me, gave my book, Don't Jump, a scathing one-star review within hours. When I noticed it two days later and posted about it, another block Trump supporter followed suit. As was demonstrated on a recent episode of Showtime's Shameless, one negative Yelp review can take down a small business. The trickle-down of the new normal? I mean, what can we expect here? So somebody said to me, don't 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 post anything political because you've got a book and you've got a show and fuck that I, I'm not gonna ch- I, I I I am not gonna back down yeah yeah it might cost me books you know on the other hand what happened is a bunch of people went in support to buy my book which right now is unavailable for another Amazon Im- issue that I'm not even gonna get into but it will be back available tomorrow but. I wear a safety pin. We talked about this yesterday at Women Who Write. I wear a safety pin to show that I am in support of anybody and will come to the aid of anybody as best I can. As I said yesterday, I'm a mom. I can't just jump in front of the bus for somebody. But I will intervene as best I can to help somebody out in trouble. But what I'm finding is that it's not just these followers and these people I don't know. But I mean my folks voted for Trump but we're in we're getting along just fine because we don't go there we just don't talk about it um there's somebody really close to me one of my closest friends for like 30 years I I can't be friends with her anymore I, I can't handle the stuff I'm. I mean I love her I'm her friend but I I can't believe the stuff I'm reading Mm-hmm. Um, there are other people that I've had relationships with over the years that a lot of them that started out on Facebook and became real life friends that are being so offensive right now. W- how are you guys handling it? What 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 are you doing? DJ, What wh- how are you doing? What are you doing?
3: Uh, I've got the same thing. I've got, uh, n- not many, but a couple, uh, at least two or three of my really close, uh, best friends from back home, uh, supported trump do support trump and we definitely we don't usually talk uh, politics Mm -hmm. uh, but we got into it a bit because of this and it's it is really hard to see guys that i see as brothers like saying some of the things they say and i just like it's tough it's super tough. tough it's it's very different than anything you know they keep trying to say things like Oh, it was the same as when Obama was uh, yeah. put in office and, you know, and we were complaining like it's not the same. It's not the same at all. It's not um, the same.
1: And also the level of nasty. This 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 Thankfully my on. friends
3: have not gone nasty, but I yeah, Thank there's a f- lot yeah.
1: But I okay. mean you see you saw what was going on on my Facebook. I mean they get really yeah. people have gotten really really personal
3: yeah.
1: and just c- and name well, calling. The, the, the
3: funny thing is yeah they're they're <laughs> so often it's they say how nasty we're being as they're like spewing just and and name calling like, Holy cow, really do you hear yourself, man? I, <laughs> like I know. think there was a th- sort
2: of like offensiveness blindness that they had to adopt in order to support this guy and so now they just have to keep doubling down and doubling down and doubling down on their being right in in voting for him and so from the beginning they weren't hearing any of the stuff that he was saying that we found to be disqualifying Mm -hmm. and they were just saying well that's boy talk or that's guy stuff or that's nationalistic or populistic or whatever they wanted to call it but we saw it as like you know no that's completely I cannot vote for this man. He's not mm-hmm. a gentleman, and we mm-hmm. need a gentleman who, as a leader. And they were like blind to that. So now they're 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 continuing to be just blind to everything. It feels like to me. But you know, this is yeah. speaking from the left. So,
1: yeah, I you know I, I don't know what this new normal is going to do, but I know for me it's it's bringing out the activist in me. Um, in a way, I I mean I'm posting every petition, every every march every every rally every anything an, every any email to send and and uh and and that brings me to tonight's guest um Evan Handler has taken a very active uh position on Facebook and has been very vocal uh ri- written vocal <laughs> in his in his contempt for what's going on and his position on it and his he's been very active taking a very active stand and um rallying people on Facebook and giving direction and um clarification on things which I've really appreciated um we're going to get into that tonight we're not just going to talk about the the path that he's taken to get to his career success but I hope we'll also talk about his path for activism that I hope he can help direct me personally and, uh, some of the listeners out there who are interested. Um, Evan ev- I, I, adore Evan. Evan's done two women who writes. He came, uh, he was one of, he was there the f- first time I ever had men with Tom Bergeron. And we're going back nine years ago. Uh, they were the first time women who write welcome men. And, um, and he was—he uh, came to us with his f- his second book, which had just dropped, which is it's only temporary. The good news and bad news of being alive. Evan survived acute myeloid leukemia in his 20s. Not only survived, but thrives. Um, and his first book, "Time on Fire: My Comedy of Terrors," was about the the whole illness and and that journey. And so we'll talk about that with Evan tonight. But. As most of you probably know, Evan has appeared on Six Feet Under, on Friends, Law and Order, the West Wing, Miami Vice. He was um, on Studio 60 in the Sunset Strip. Ed lost 24, but where did we fall in love with him? Come on, Sex in the City. Harry, I mean, <laughs> ah, please. And then Californication. I, oh, I'm oh a huge God. Runkle fan. Runkle. Huge. I l- <laughs> love the Runkle. <laughs> And uh, he's also been in a bunch of major motion pictures. He was in Ransom, The Chosen, Sweet Lorraine, and Taps. Um, Evan uh, is famous for getting walking off a Broadway stage in the middle of a performance. We'll talk to him maybe a little bit about that. He's written for a bunch of magazines: L O, the Oprah Magazine, Mirabella, uh, O O, the Oprah Magazine. Sorry, Oprah. Um, and he's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. He's uh oh, and my favorite Evan memory was the second time he came to Women Who Write, was just about two years ago. It was on my birthday, and Earth Wind and Fire was playing. Larry Dunn from Earth Wind and Fire. We see you were there. I was there, and I was singing. And, uh, you, we remember? were singing. So when they sang they sang um the Stevie Wonder version of Happy Birthday to me. And um and then they, they sang Let's Groove Tonight, which is my favorite Earth Wind and Fire song, one of my favorite songs in the world and Evan and I were literally standing on chairs, recording them dance. I mean, it, it's like so. In my <laughs> video of the day, there's Evan, you know, videoing, and uh, it was it was an incredibly cool day. Also with Evan, I've I've actually uh, interviewed Evan before um, for the cover story of the launch of Reimagine Magazine a couple of years ago, and uh, it was a it's a cancer based. Uh, um, magazine to give hope to people who, o- and caretakers of f- and family members for people who um, are suffering. And um, Evan has an incredibly inspirational story, um, and his journey is amazing. So we did a very in-depth ep- interview for that, which I, um, I interviewed Evan for a, a couple of hours, I think it was, and I transcribed the entire thing by hand. And then wrote up the piece, which ended up being about 30 pages <laughs> long <laughs> because it was so I just wanted to include everything. He had so much great stuff to say. And of course, it got edited down to just a couple of pages. But it, it was an amazing, um, uh, an amazing interview, as I know. I don't ca- these aren't interviews. These are conversations. Uh, that was an interview. This is a conversation. And I'm so excited to welcome Evan. Hey, Evan, how are you?
0: I'm good, Vicky. How are you doing?
1: Uh, that's an interesting. Que- that's a loaded question. Oh <laughs> well,
0: for fuck's sake, you know. You <laughs> said we're going to get to the heavy stuff at the end, I, and I, then I, I say I'm good <laughs> I, uh, because I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to play <laughs> the end of the scene at the beginning. You know, that's an acting. That's because you're an actor. Yeah, and, and that's and why you're a and successful and actor. And then I and I'm say not. I'm good, and you say, "How can you be good <laughs> under these circumstances?" No, I
1: didn't say how could you be good. I said I'm not so good. But <laughs> but that could be a personal thing. It could be because you of the set date. Set me I didn't up
0: go right go. from the get go. <laughs>
1: All right, so I've already like told the people out there in inter cyberland that we have met before, and we've done the women who write thing, and we've done an interview thing for for a magazine. But I'm, I'm going to become
0: very Dylan-esque from this point out.
1: Oh, no, don't, please. Uh, All right, I have to tell you my Dylan story quickly. Oh so boy. Dylan, <laughs> I'm, I'm you a... You asked for <laughs> it. <What> everyone's, <laughs> got everyone's got one. All right, I want to hear yours. I have, d- I have two or three. Okay, good. So my Dylan story is that I worship Dylan from the time I was a little girl. In my in the 60s, I was listening to Free Willing Bob Dylan, you know, ad nauseum. And so my friend Kenny Aronson played bass with him in the 80s. And he's they were... They were recording at New York at a studio, and Kenny said, well, come down, and and I'll introduce you to him. And I was, like, losing my mind. So he has me come to the studio, and the elevator doors open, and I start to walk out, and Kenny puts his hand up. No, no. And he says, go back home. He said, you don't want to meet him today. Ah, I didn't get to meet Bob. So, you know. I'll
0: I'll let that be the story for both of us. Okay. (laughs) I had a good time in his boxing gym in Santa Monica filming an episode of Californication. (gasps) Was he there? No. Okay. Well, I can't say for sure he uh, wasn't there. Okay, I didn't see him.
1: He has a boxing gym.
0: Well, there you go. Wow! <laughs> look, wh- look what I've spilled.
1: Oh, and so <laughs> and so, what's the story? Who
0: killed Who killed Davy Moore and all that? Um, the boxing gym was filled with more memorabilia than I expected. Uh, it was known to be. I mean, it's a functioning boxing gym uh-huh. um, with and, boxing memorabilia and and, and, and and Bob's hangout. But you know, you don't. I didn't imagine from whatever mass media creations that I know Mm -hmm. that Bob's hangout would be filled with photos of Bob signed memorabilia to Bob photographs from Bob Dylan and the band at Madison Square Garden like a real you know tour through (laughs) Bob's history and relationship to sporting figures and boxing there as his kind of clubhouse and 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 place Uh, so that was interesting
2: that's
1: kind of cool that he has that human side I like that no, I think it's kind of <laughs> cool because he's just a regular guy. I right? don't know
0: his species. I don't, I don't, can't <laughs> really, I can't, I can't. I, I think he might admire the fact that I, I won't, I won't say anything about what he is or who he is. I just, yeah. I saw the gym. That's it.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I like it. So uh, we were talking about Runkle before DJ and I made a huge Runkle r- fan. <laughs> Major. <laughs> Thank you very much.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: But now you keep your clothes on. We, I, I, we, we were gonna go in chronological order, but I just have to say, um, the People versus O.J. Um, that is one crazy, brilliant piece of television. For every single minute of it, uh, every word of it, every everything about it. I went to the um, the SAG uh, little thing they did a couple weeks ago, and and everyone was there except, of course, you and Rob, the two that I know. Um, I got to dance with John Travolta actually. <laughs> I walked up at the end. I walked up to him and I said, I want to dance with you before I die. And he said, even Well let's take care of that. Even I right didn't now. get
0: to dance with him.
1: I said, I want to dance with you before I die. He goes, Well, let's take care of that right now. He twirled me around, put me in his arms, and then he said, Don't die. He was <laughs> very sweet. But um, but that I- th- um you're Alan Dershowitz I b- I mean, first of all, you freaked me out because it was a little Larry Fine with the with the hair thing that was going on there, but wow, what a performance. I mean, you you were Dershowitz. Um, I I
0: agree that it was a great piece of television. (laughs) Um, I don't think Alan would describe it or appreciate it the same way. I haven't spoken to him about it. I met him beforehand. Did you? Um, I just heard comments he made about it. But I don't see why anyone who had been involved would really think that was a great representation of what they personally had been through, except maybe Marsha Clark, who, you know, she and Sarah had their love affair. Uh, But I did think— They did? They did? Well, well, I know about I Sarah mean, and I'm Holland. I'm, 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 Holland's I'm, a I'm, friend I'm of mine. I'm talking about hanging out together. Okay. Yeah. I just chose to say it in a in a racy way. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> it's hard to say anything about Sarah without being racy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and she'll
0: and she'll appreciate that.
1: She was very cute.
0: Uh, very <laughs> wow, very cute. Yeah. Um, I thought she was great. Uh, uh, I going into something like that, you have no idea what it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. The concern on my end was, well, okay, I know Travolta's involved, and David Schwimmer, and, mm-hmm. and Cuba Gooding Jr., and whoever else, and, and this could be you know, the towering Inferno. Mm-hmm. It could be the Poseidon Adventure, <laughs> a camp classic <laughs> for all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is that uh, Ryan Murphy and Company, mm-hmm. which is a big th- that and mm-hmm. Company includes a lot of people who should have their names Larry spoken amazing, out yeah. loud as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but between the writing and the execution, it really expertly rode the line between camp and humor and satire and really good social commentary and drama, and it interwove so many different sort of genres and mm-hmm. elements. Um, there's only so much you can expect from 10 hours of television that way, mm-hmm. but I thought really they did an amazing job. Uh, amazing. When, when I had I and, and no one else had any idea really what to expect that it might actually come out as being, but um, I thought it was really expertly D- could done. Could you
1: tell when, when you were shooting that, I- y- even then you couldn't tell? No. No. Mm-hmm.
0: no. Um, you know, there were days and times, you know, plural, when mm-hmm. it, it it seemed like several lead actors and characters couldn't even get through their lines. I mean, we spent hours and hours on things that should have taken a third of the time to the point where I think most everyone in the room was wondering, how does this possibly cut together? How do they get what they need? Uh, but Wh- why you see. is that? There in what
1: way? How, how, why were things taking so long?
0: You know, I, I can't get into, mm, okay. you know who, mm-hmm. W-
1: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, okay. who struggles with what? why? Okay. I'm just saying mm-hmm. there in the room, you'd think, how is this possibly going to come together? Mm-hmm. And then the people overseeing and the people designing it um, and the people struggling mm-hmm. uh, have their way of making things work really, really well.
1: Wow. Interesting. Well, good luck with everything. I i i know it won a slew of awards. I know it's up for more awards now. Um, it's just a brilliant piece of work. So, alright, before we get to the present and what works coming up ahead, so so little Evan Handler um, so when did little Evan Handler start did you realize now David uh, Duchovny
0: used to say like you know and, and actually my physical therapist now used to call me big guy and I'd think oh they're commenting on the fact that they think I'm overweight <laughs> you're calling me little Evan Handler <laughs> no, I'm no, not when sure what to kid. take from when that. You, no when oh, little, a oh, you were I thought you were actually saying to me right now little Evan Handler no oh, when, when I was a child wow a chi- okay <laughs> no. okay. We're <laughs> no. okay we're going back in time is there going to be like a little sound effect that goes with that <laughs> there okay.
1: is not wow. what? DJ can you do it same thing as like the
0: picture becoming wavy and wavy and wavy (laughs) as we're going back in time
1: okay we're going back in time okay dj will insert the 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 wavy music so so you're a little kid you're a little you're literally a young okay a young evan handler so so when did you get bit when when did you start to act when did you know this is what you wanted to do
0: funny no one refers to the young strapping evan (laughs) handler (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I didn't know you then. I didn't know if you <laughs> was strapping. <laughs> <laughs> it was the young,
0: whippet-like Evan Handler. <laughs> um, I weighed like uh, 128 pounds in high school. Um, so did When did I, I get bit? No. <laughs> uh, you know, I wanted to be an athlete
4: okay. for a
0: long time. You know, I wanted to be a major league catcher when I weighed 113 pounds. You Were know, y- did you do Little in League? Sixth grade. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I was not really very gifted, (laughs) Um, uh, and I wanted to be a musician. Um, Did you play? I was a a, a drummer before I really listened to any music. (laughs) Uh, What uh, is that? And And I sold that drum set and used the money to go to an acting class at NYU when I was 15 years old, a summer NYU program for 16- and 17-year-olds that I lied about my age.
1: My daughter's at Tisch right now. She's a, f-
0: a freshman. I lived in in the was it Weinstein dorms? Yeah,
1: she eats at Weinstein. Weinstein,
0: Weintraub, something. It's some some some.
1: Weinstein, yeah.
0: Some Judaica dormitory <laughs> off Washington Square Park. Yeah. Uh, but I okay, got but, bit but wait I before
1: th- before. Th- so so okay. First it was sports. Yeah. So you're a little kid when you want to be, and and then when did you start drumming? How did that happen?
0: I started drumming around nine years old. I was oh like wow. nine to thirteen, something like that. Because um, you
1: desired it or because your parents no, got you no. drum set? No, oh, no, I
0: desired it. No, I begged for it, and they got me really quite an amazing drum set. I just never really learned to play it. It was just, it was just an idea I had. I wanted to be a performer. Okay. You know, that that was clear.
1: What What about that attracted you, to, do you think?
0: Uh, probably all the negatives and not very many of the positives. Such as? You, well, you know, I wanted to be glorified. I wanted, yeah. I wanted to be the center of attention. Yeah. I wanted to do things that made other people feel good for okay. seeing me do it.
1: I like that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's
0: what an athlete does, right? I mean, you know, people people watch these games thinking. Be cheered on. You know, my center fielder caught that ball. <laughs> I feel good about myself.
4: Mm. <laughs> 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 you know, you could go into that
0: with somebody else. Have Dave Winfield on and ask him why.
1: <laughs> Reggie's my hero, but that's like a whole. Uh, that's that's a complicated hero. Yeah, to it's have, a very yeah. complicated hero. Okay, so so okay, so you okay, so you were playing music when you weren't listening? You weren't, like, a fan of music?
0: After the drum set had been sold, I suddenly started to listen to my brother's albums and and listen to... I used to make fun of his Crosby, Stills, and Nash albums. I called them the Sweeties. Oh,
1: my God. I was a
0: kid, you know? I I just, you know, soul soul hadn't gotten into my system, you know? Mm -hmm. And somewhere around the time that I sold that drum set, I, for the first time, started to listen to deja vu album Mm -hmm. i listened to cahoots by the band Mm -hmm. i started to listen to bob dylan Mm -hmm. and i became a huge bob dylan in the band Mm -hmm. aficionado that has lasted to this day
1: for me too okay so so now you're appreciating music what's the first time you get on stage and act
0: well i'd been doing that since second grade or so yeah yeah Um, do you
1: remember your first line you remember your first play
0: no, I remember in second grade playing the king, mm-hmm. I played the leads. Mm-hmm. I remember the neighbor sewed jewels onto a cape for me <laughs> and I remember they changed some lines right before the performance
4: Seven. and I
0: said the old lines <gasps> and then turned to the audience and said, "I'm sorry, we have to go back." <laughs> and later, <laughs> the teachers pointed out that you could have just said, "But first, let's do this
4: <laughs> and
0: and 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 my uh, my shortcomings in terms of improvisation were, were revealed there. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's a really sweet story. Okay, so so you you were getting leads. Now, were you getting leads because you were Mr. Personnel? Why were you getting leads? Do you think when you were in second grade? Why why were you the guy?
0: Uh, I generally got leads in the plays through junior high school and high school. Um, I think I was probably pretty good at it. Um, there weren't you know that many the, the drama club in those days was probably mm-hmm. dominated by girls. Mm-hmm. The guys were less or so. But I mean, I didn't always. My first year in high school. I auditioned for I mean, I mean listen we're we're talking about this as if it's meaningful it's really it's it's really not the the, the It's th- only the meaningful drama, because the drama club in my high school mm-hmm. was nothing. It was, you know, an emphysemic man <laughs> who was an art teacher <laughs> who who didn't survive my high school tenure. Aww. Uh you know <laughs> directing some social outcasts and off the beaten path people and one or two Drama queens who really thought they were going to be actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I auditioned, and I think my old friend, who was two years above me in school, who got the part, will, will forgive me for saying I was the actor. I didn't get the part because, you know, he played against someone in his grade who was his height. <laughs>
1: ah. i was
0: i was six inches shorter than she was and two years younger and, there you and go. 20 pounds lighter mm. and it would have been odd for me to play the romantic lead opposite her
1: i i i hear that i, I get that, so i yeah. had
0: to wait my turn <laughs>
1: which, which turn okay so and so when did your turn come Wh- when when d- <laughs> when did it start to be something that was that was meaningful
0: well my high school experience was uh uh largely i can't wait to get out of here mm-hmm. um i just where'd you go to school I went to school in the Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a trio of towns: Montrose, Buchanan, Verplanck. Mm-hmm. I think years before, uh, Verplanck had been written about in the New York Times Magazine as the town the Times left behind. <laughs>
4: okay.
0: um, it was an Itali- Italian American enclave mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, you know, forgive me for saying so, bigotry and and and, and regressive attitudes in the 1970s. Um, it's where they built the nuclear point power plant. Nice. where Bella Abzug led a symbolic walk away from Indian Point and the 30 people or so who showed up to walk away were outnumbered by 10 or 100 times by the people whose families were employed by Con Edison and mm-hmm. in Indian Point. So it was sort of like that in my mm-hmm. in my growing up. Now those high school friends of mine are protesting uh, gas pipelines and things like that, but mm-hmm. their own parents mm-hmm. had been, and, and before I had lived there mm-hmm. in, I think it was 1949, people from Peekskill rioted when Paul Robeson went to sing. Mm-hmm. They turned over buses of mm. fans coming to see Paul Robeson, they beat people, they threw rocks, they, mm-hmm. the, the, the police refused to come because they said it was outside their jurisdiction. And the Ku Klux Klan had uh, 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 more requests for membership after those riots oh my than, than before. So, so this, is, this is all 40 miles or so from Manhattan, right. but this yeah. is the history of, of that area of the Hudson Valley.
1: What what did your parents? W- how did your parents end up th- in that town?
0: Uh, you know that's a really good question. They looked for a good school system mm-hmm. outside New York. We I, I lived until I was six years old in Queens, some area of Queens that I'm not familiar with even any longer. Um, and they settled there. I, it was really it was was an interesting ac- area actually mm-hmm. because those those river towns that I just mentioned mm-hmm. had really kind of working class people, mm-hmm. and then the woods between there and Peekskill. Mm-hmm. Peekskill had a, a large African American population Mm -hmm. um and the woods between were populated with somewhat sort of jewish uh, 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 uh advertising industry artistic commuters to manhattan
1: Is that what your father did?
0: Yeah, my Uh father was an illustrator who opened an advertising agency.
1: Uh And
0: he and uh, a a bunch of other people, some of whose names pop into my head, Mm -hmm. but whatever, nobody knows who they are. But these were people who ran, worked at J. Walter Thompson. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were the Mm madmen. That's who who commuted from there. Um, And, uh, you know, largely Jewish, a few African-American families, um, living in sort of what was then really leaning rural mm-hmm. more than suburban although it's different now mm-hmm. and commuting to Manhattan and running their own advertising agencies mm-hmm. working as illustrators that sort of thing it was a it was a a, a, a sort of uh, hotbed of that
1: and so you went so you were in public school they moved there because of the public yeah, schools exactly right this that's is right. exactly what i did with my kids moving from new york to here i live in a little town that's
0: so i went to the furnace woods elementary school a very small elementary school mm-hmm. Um, eventually, that and five other elementary schools fed into the brand new Blue Mountain Middle School, okay. which was, for its moment, a mm-hmm. brand new progressive sort of middle school mm-hmm. with team teaching. That was the big thing.
1: Uh huh. I remember that. And remember then, and
0: then in ninth grade, you went to the high school mm-hmm. where all the kids who had been going to Catholic school up till that point were fed in as well. Ah. And from those river towns, so, mm-hmm. so you had this 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 merging of these uh, populations that had been separate up to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And you had the whole um, George McGovern, Richard Nixon um, Mm -hmm. election, you know, where people, I mean, you know, whatever, nine through 12-year-old kids would stick their face into mine and scream, you fucking communist, if if, if your parents didn't support Richard Nixon. so it was that kind of background?
1: Well, w- ha- where were you on the social scale of of that town and that high school? Like what what was your what were were you popular? Were you were, what, what was your what was your I scene? wish I
0: wish people could see my face as you're asking me this question. <laughs> uh, who am I to see, say? Who am that. I to say, Vicky? You need well, to you need to open a, a a curtain behind me and reveal some of the people who could <laughs> who could tell you where I was. How did I you feel? How did you feel
1: scale. on the social scale when you I were in high school? I felt like I
0: needed to get the fuck out of there. That's yeah. what I felt like. Mm-hmm. I felt like I have something to offer the world, and these people don't seem to value it.
1: So what was the d- so the dream had morphed from music to now? You still wanted to perform and please people. So now, w- uh, w- well,
0: I, I I really I was actually a kind of academically gifted kid. Ah, but you know, and then in fifth grade, literally in fifth grade, we went to guidance counselors who said, "What do you want to do for a living? What do you, like? What career do you want?" <coughs> Seriously, yes. and that's what I say. Well, I want an athletic career, <laughs> and I'd say, well, but you're actually, you know, very gifted academically. That would be quite a waste. <laughs> I don't okay. see it that way. It was quick <laughs> quick decision making, and.
1: Uh <laughs> d- by the way, how how were your parents? Like, d- did your parents support the sports dream, the music dream? The I
0: mean, they played catch with me. Okay, <laughs> but I mean, did, did, did,
1: did, did they did your parents ever try to encourage <laughs> you to do something academic, or were they good with what you were doing?
0: I was doing really well, you know, so mm. they didn't have to encourage me. You know, I, I I got A's. I was, you know, that was. But when it came time to me. go
1: to college, so so what that happened was later, That was later. That uh, was later. Okay. I so bailed
0: on academics well before college. Oh. That was you know that was the the the, the most difficult portion. Um,
1: You bailed on academics like when you were spending your money to go to NYU at 15 to take an acting class? I did my
0: freshman and sophomore years of high school. Mm -hmm. In New York, this is going to be obscure to a lot of people, but there were regents and non-regents diplomas. Oh, yeah. So if you wanted to go to college, you got the regents diploma. Just more credits. You had to Mm -hmm. take more classes. Mm -hmm. The regents diploma was designed for people who wanted to pursue trades more than academics, Mm -hmm. supposedly. Mm -hmm. I don't even think that system exists anymore. I don't think but so. then the it, local it did
3: when I went through. It did uh, 15 years ago. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there was a local network of what were then referred to as BOCES centers and schools. BOCES was the Board of Cooperative Educational Services. Oh wow! Now what those started as mm-hmm. were that's where developmentally disabled kids went to school.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: They were bused from their school to there, mm-hmm. and so when you saw somebody who was developmentally disabled when when you saw when certain people mm-hmm. saw people mm-hmm. who were developmentally disabled or people they just want to make fun of, they'd say, you big bose, you big bosey or oh. or they'd say, Oh, he threw a bose. Like oh, kids I who threw heard tantrums that. and stuff. Huh. Um, then it then it started to do auto mechanics and hairstyling mm-hmm. for kids who needed to learn trades. Mm-hmm. They eventually branched out into um, certain kinds of forestry things and then they started in New York? A performing arts and visual arts program mm-hmm. for people who didn't want to do mainstream. They even did what's called the walkabout program, which was. I didn't take it, so I don't know exactly. My girlfriend's took it. Uh, no, it w- you know, like give it me was an idea. It was like well, you sort of you sort of did what 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 was that? I'm I'm blanking right now. What what what's the organization that takes you out for a uh uh like your 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 ba- your your experience in the wilderness where you have to survive oh. for yourself for.
2: Outward bound?
0: It was sort of like a high school uh-huh. Outward Boundish program uh-huh. where you learned different kinds of um, outdoor skills, but also um, self-actualization theories and programs. For s- they decided to use the BOCES facility mm-hmm. for more progressive aims. And I went there for my junior year of high school mm-hmm. where you would spend only half a day at your regular high school. You'd go there, mm-hmm. you would put on plays, and you'd tour to the different school districts that wow. subscribed. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother campaigned to get me credit for English and gym because <laughs> of the dance that we do, and <laughs> we did some writing, <laughs> which then the school district was horrified by and cracked down on. Uh-huh. And I cl- crammed all my credits together because I had taken some Spanish in mm-hmm. junior high school, mm-hmm. and I got a non-regent's diploma, and I graduated high school in three years. Wow. Uh, at f-
1: Wait. From four y- okay, from four years. Okay, I didn't yeah. do a
0: senior year in high school. Okay. And the other kids in school were like, you don't want a senior year? You get two study halls. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, okay. Like, all day is going to be study hall for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but okay, you come back and I'm moving on.
1: Okay, so now you're like 17, 16, 17 when yeah. you're out of high school. So what happens?
0: And my mother... Um, told me a story about a guy that she was best friends with until she was 13 years old, Mm -hmm. a guy named Robert Calfin, Mm -hmm. who ran something called the Chelsea Theater Center, which in the 1970s was a top-off Broadway theater company. Mm -hmm. And she had recontacted him, and they got together for a lunch in New York, and I said, would you please call him? Mm -hmm. I want to, when I get done with school, I want to go, I want to do an internship there. Mm -hmm. And she set up a meeting for me, and they did have an internship program. And I met him one afternoon, and I went to a theater in Brooklyn because they kind of hopped around what their home theater was. Mm -hmm. And I sat in on a rehearsal of something that I didn't have any idea what it was or (laughs) what I was looking at, and I believe it was uh, a three-penny opera. Mm. Would that be Bertolt Brecht? I'm still not even so so clear. Uh, Where I saw Making Out on stage, what Mm -hmm. I believe were... Uh, 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 okay, um, Jim Ignatowski from Taxi is the great Christopher Lloyd Uh and Meryl Streep (gasps) entwined and making out together. Yeah. And and because they were in that play at that time and I had no idea what I was looking at, who I was seeing. No idea of nothing except that some months later they invited me to come and do an unpaid internship at the Chelsea Theater Center. So I show up 17 years old, just out of high school, um, um, only three years of high school, and since I'm an actor, I mean first they had me alphabetize their play library, mm-hmm. you know, dust off shelves.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, there was a guy there who was the associate artistic director. I'm sorry but I don't remember his name. Mm-hmm. And he coached me on my college audition pieces and they assigned me to two things.
1: Oh, so you took a you took a, a gap year as yeah, it's called exactly. now. exactly. Okay. I did this mm-hmm. unpaid
0: internship while mm-hmm. I applied to the Juilliard School, mm-hmm. NYU, SUNY Purchase, and Carnegie Mellon. Wow, okay. Those are my four mm-hmm. acting schools that I wanted to uh, uh, apply to. And they had me read with everyone who auditioned for their season.
1: Nice. I
0: was the reader at every audition. Nice. And I was also the guy who in the hot, disgusting attic of that theater building with another guy named Mark Reif, who who wound up being a lawyer and attorney contacted and communicated with all the casting directors in New York who had no idea who they were speaking to, who would call up to speak to Mr. Handler nice. and didn't <laughs> realize they were talking to some <laughs> skinny, <laughs> sweaty, long-haired 17 <laughs> year old who had like smoked dope during <laughs> his lunch break. <laughs> and they begged for audition the odi- auditions appointments they wanted to know was their client oh. and you know we were told basically everybody everybody who didn't have the job was put on hold, is what you were told. <laughs> You know, so (laughs) then in later years when I told, "Oh, you're on hold," I knew (laughs) that meant forget it. That's 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 long gone (laughs) because no one was told no until the role was cast. Wow! Uh, And I communicated with all the top casting directors who I later came to see and pursue as an actor.
1: Did you ever tell them? Uh,
0: I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I traveled from that moment. Mm Not so much from that moment, but from a couple of years from then on, things moved really, really fast.
1: Okay, so tell how.
0: Well, they cast me in both their plays. Kay. One was a play called Biography, A Game by Max Frisch, and there were some of the top New York actors in that play: mm-hmm. George Morfogen. Um, um, uh, I remember George. Um, I remember. I remember Austin Pendleton coming to see the play. Well. Wow. You know, everybody came mm-hmm. to see these plays, and mm-hmm. I played George Morfogen's son, tiny little part. Mm-hmm. It was uh, directed by a guy named Arnie Zaslav, who ran a theater in Seattle. And then they did a play called Strider, The Story of a Horse. I remember Which Strider. was based mm-hmm. on a Tolstoy short story, and it was a musical.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: It was a musical done in sort of story theater style, mm-hmm. and it was a musical designed really for singing actors and actresses, not really musical theater people. Well, I, I hadn't done any of that. Mm-hmm. I had no training whatsoever, but... Mm-hmm. They had me audition. You act like a horse. You do your, you sing. You do this, and, and they cast me. And there I was, you know, singing and dancing, and, and acting like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and and the the word I got from the guy Mark Reif, who I'd been working with as mm-hmm. the intern, when I said, you know, so I did that audition yesterday. Did anybody say anything to you? How do how to go? What did it look like? He see he, you know, sort of disgustedly said, "Don't let it go to your head." But you know, they thought it was really great, and they cast me in these roles. And agents started to come and see me, and. There was a woman named Pamela Burrell, who was the ex-wife of a major agent at that time, Monty Silver, Mm -hmm. and I had said to her, I heard they're casting this movie called Hot Lunch, and it's about kids going to a performing arts high school, and if I could get an audition for that movie, I know I'd get a part. And the next day, she handed me a piece of paper and said, call Monty Silver.
1: Fantastic. And I
0: went in, Mm -hmm. and that's the movie that became Fame.
1: Wow.
0: Which I had several auditions for, for the role that Barry Sink, sorry, sorry, barry miller ultimately played um with alan parker you know a major filmmaker of my young Mm -hmm. adulthood uh and really and and i used to call the casting office every day pretending to be somebody else because i kept getting told you know (laughs) they haven't made a decision yet you know you're still on hold and i would call and say have they cast that role yet (laughs) have they cast that role yet and then they they cast barry miller who haunted me for several years Mm. because then I auditioned many, many times for Jeremy Kagan who directed the movie The Chosen mm-hmm. that Barry played one of the leads in and they hired me as but one of were his in, friends. But you, yeah, I I you were in that Yeah, film, but yeah. I read for Barry's part over oh. and over again. I was there on stage left when Barry read for uh, uh, Neil Simon's Biloxi Blues, which he won a Tony Award for and which I understudied him yes. in that production. Mm-hmm. So Barry and and then later Matthew Broderick were, were, were two guys who... Who uh, who I trailed and and replaced and 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 uh, uh, chased after for a while, so yeah, it went from Chelsea. Th- so Strider, the story of a horse,
4: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> moved to Broadway. I turned I've eighteen it, yeah. years old. Okay, I'm the unpaid intern. Mm-hmm. All the other non-actor ac- act. Uh, non equity actors, right. non union actors in the cast are getting paid $35 a week. Mm-hmm. The union people are getting paid whatever the union wage was at that time. Mm-hmm. When the play extended and, and was going to move to Broadway, mm-hmm. the non equity actors began getting $100 a week. Mm-hmm. And I went to Bob Calvin and said, I'd like to get paid too, which was not greatly appreciated. <laughs> uh, but I kept saying it. I kept saying it until he finally said, I get it, Evan. Because, you know, I mean, I was the kid, right. you know, but I had really, I was along for the ride, mm-hmm. you know. At some point, Benjamin Hendrickson, a great actor, a Juilliard graduate. What mm-hmm. I didn't say before is that Bossy's program mm-hmm. was taught the first year by a guy who had dropped out of Juilliard. And Juilliard became my kind of iconic goal mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Based on nothing other than
4: yeah, this well, guy was a good teacher and it mm-hmm. was,
0: had a reputation. I didn't really mm-hmm. even know what they did there. But Bob Calfin knew Alan Schneider, who had been the director of Juilliard for years up until then, Mm -hmm. even though he no longer was when I wound up auditioning and applying. That was taken over by Michael Langham, a Mm -hmm. British guy. Uh, But Strider was going to move to Broadway. Mm -hmm. And there became a huge debate in the cast of what should the kid do. Does an 18-year-old kid quit a play that's going to move to Broadway to go to school to learn what he's already doing Mm -hmm. to move to Broadway, which the 70-year-olds had never had a chance for their entire lives? Mm -hmm. Or do you leave the Broadway production and go to acting school? Mm -hmm. And there were vehement arguments (laughs) among the cast uh, about that. And I got pulled aside by so many people for advice. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Know, what was your What was your year gu- old people What did you want to do? You know, you don't. You do not leave a Broadway production to go to school to learn to what you're doing already. I waited my whole life for this. And Bob Calfin, who pulled me aside and said, "Listen, Evan, I would hire you to play a Jewish kid from Long Island. I wouldn't hire you to do a Moliere play. You need to leave the sc- leave leave the play and go to school. Uh, you know. And then you know you can look back and say, well, you know." For the most part, would have been hired to play as Jewish kids from <laughs> Long Island anyway, yeah. and I didn't really want to make my life going from regional theater to regional theater doing Molière plays. Mm-hmm. Although, I I did at some point through several decisions, you know, give up what Liev Schreiber has become uh, rightfully renowned for, of doing great classical plays, mm-hmm. you know, with other more modern, broader productions and film and television stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, I had other difficulties in my life that Liev perhaps hasn't had. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, So, so I did leave the play. Mm -hmm. They went to Broadway. Mm -hmm. I would go and visit them, Mm -hmm. and I went to Juilliard, Mm -hmm. and- Getting
1: into Juilliard's a pretty big thing. Yeah, it's but, you know, thing. it is,
0: n- like, numerically, statistically, but I know the Crazy. people who were there, and yeah. about half of them really belonged there, and half of them weren't really meant to be actors. Really? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, Liz McGovern was in my class, Kelly McGliss was in my class, Kevin Spacey, wow. was Kevin Fowler was in my class, Wow. and then there's a lot of people who really, you know, were never going to be actors and actresses. But um, they, uh,
1: not a lot of people, I mean, my daughter just applied, It was they only took, I think, 12 kids. That is
0: true. Well, now, they, they took 24 then. hmm um, they changed, you know, they used to do this thing which was very competitive and they would have a cut in the third year. Mm-hmm. Go, they, don't, they, didn't, they came not to do that anymore mm-hmm. under the direction of Jim Naughton, mm-hmm. who unfortunately passed away recently, a wonderful guy who ran the Signature Theater mm-hmm. Company. Um, I'm sorry, I, I think I mispronounced his name actually. Jim Houghton, I think, mm-hmm. is his name. Um, I only met him once, but um, so forgive me, whoever's listening, who knows that I got it wrong. Uh, I went to school for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And Monty Silver kept calling me with appointments. By so the way, did you
1: ever regret that decision to go to Juilliard rather than to be on Broadway?
0: Well, Vicki... I'm a man capable of great regret about most anything. (laughs) 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 So I've regretted most decisions in my life. Uh, Yesterday, I changed my family's Christmas vacation from Europe to Hawaii, and I regret that. Until I get to Hawaii and I have a nice time, and I'll go, go. oh, it's nice that I'm here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Overall, no. No.
1: How long did Strider run?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think it was more than, I think it was less than a year probably. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been a great experience. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that I went to Juilliard. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean
0: yeah. In retrospect, no. There was no question I did yeah. the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't stay at Juilliard all that long. Oh, okay. I went there for about a year and two thirds. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I auditioned toward the end of the first year for both The Chosen and Taps.
1: I know what happened there.
0: And I got cast in both of them and then there was a SAG strike, a Screen Actors Guild strike. So I think I had called the school and told them I wouldn't be coming back, and then I had to call the school and say, actually, I think I will be coming <laughs> back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh. And then toward the end of the second year, uh-huh. they both got rescheduled. No, I think I did The Chosen in the summer, but mm-hmm. TAPS got rescheduled, mm-hmm. and they came back and offered, me offered it to me again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went to Juilliard as, again, a kind of long-haired, frizzy-haired. I had kind of like a... A, a Bob Dylan circa 1975, you know, afro. Yeah. And and one of the things that we did at Juilliard was everybody lined up, and everybody else in the class would give you a nickname. So 23 other people would give you a nickname, and then there was Kevin Spacey going, you know, druggie, <laughs> uh, hippie, pothead <laughs> about me. And I thought, this is really wild, because where I came from, I was not an extreme version of anything. Hmm. But this was a very conservative class. It was hmm. a very clean-cut conservative Crew, and to them that that's what I was, Mm -hmm. and they wanted this pointed out to you because the philosophy at that time it was all it's not didn't come out of nowhere. There was a guy named Michel Mm sandini and he and John Hausman had come up with a theory and philosophy for acting, and that was to strip you down to your neutral state Mm -hmm. so that you could be anything, Mm -hmm. and that's why there was a kind of cliche of Juilliard robotic. Uh, beautifully postured, wa- perfectly walking and talking, and deep-voiced people who who actually didn't look anything like a, a human being, um, <laughs> and they would want to train that right out of you, and um, um, you know, train, train the regionalisms and mm-hmm. the quirkiness of your speech and all that, so that you could. It was a classical theater training program. Mm-hmm. How many people, if you had been able to project them in the future, really wanted to do that? I mean, there there are some people who came out of there. A guy named Marco Baricelli was a year above me. Mm-hmm. And Marco is a legendary in at least Southern California. He runs a theater now. And he has performed great roles across the country in regional theater. Mm-hmm. You know, But unless you really know that's what you want your life to be, mm-hmm. in retrospect, I look back, when I did go and tell Michael Langham, I have a role in this movie, Taps, and I'm going to leave school, he said, I want to know, do you understand that what you're leaving to do has nothing to do with what we've been teaching you here? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, I understand, <laughs> and I'll continue my training. And, mm-hmm. and in retrospect, I thought, well, shame on you. Why isn't there a room here filled with video cameras mm-hmm. so people can actually learn how to make a living mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. and supplement their love for acting on stage or, or whatever it mm-hmm. might come to be?
1: There, wor- there weren't no, any at Juilliard? No, 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 no
0: no. No, 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 uh-huh. no. no, and you even did, although you did do modern material, mm-hmm. it was the minority of what you did. Mm-hmm. Um it was Shakespeare and and Jacobian things and and um, Chekhov mm-hmm. and and you know really um, Chekhov would be considered the more modern of mm-hmm. the of the ouvre mm-hmm. It was a classical stage training program mm-hmm. it was an anachronism hmm I think people should be trained for that stuff, but I'm also I'm not a person who believes that if you learn to play classical guitar, you can play anything. Boy, you'll really be able to rock that Santana <laughs> if you <laughs> learn how to play a classical <laughs> nylon string guitar. I get that you learn techniques mm-hmm. that are in excess of what most rock and roll players learn, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm not I'm not am I'm, I'm not convinced that that's a, a terrific argument.
1: At Tish, my daughter's in uh, at the Atlantic Theater Company, and so she's getting the Mamet William Macy, wh- which is the antithesis of what you're describing. Right. Um, so I perhaps I th- th-
0: why David has never come calling. <laughs> <laughs> but I did see him once. I've only met David twice, I think, in my life, yeah. and and it was well into my 40s, hmm. uh, if not already 50 years old. And he paid me incredible compliments. How lovely. He told me your book was great. Love it. Like I read your book; it was really fantastic. Mm. Oh God, why why didn't you get in touch and let me know sooner? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so I was very blown away. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've really, I've never. I know the Atlantic people, but I haven't actually done work with them. My my whole thing was ensemble studio theater, Naked Angels, and just a whole. All right. So okay. Group. So
1: let's 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 let's. You so yeah, sorry. So
0: I, I left mm-hmm. Strider. Mm-hmm. I was at Juilliard. That only lasted a year and a half, mm-hmm. and then I'm in Taps with Timothy movie. Hutton, who has, who has, while we're working together, we go flies off and wins his Academy Award. Sean Penn, who nobody knows. Tom Cruise, who nobody knows. John wow. Carlo Esposito, who nobody knows, mm-hmm. and me playing the leads in this film. Um, and thinking you know and you're how old this is it this is this is this is my trajectory to bob dylan destiny (laughs) uh i was 20 years old okay making taps i believe maybe i turned 20 Mm -hmm. 19 into 20 something like that Mm -hmm. uh and then i was you know then then that ended and i was often just doing off-broadway plays off-broadway plays that led to then from 21 years old, from 21 years old to 29 years old, I played the lead in seven Broadway productions. It's Not the lead, leading roles in mm-hmm. seven Broadway productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in spite of losing massive times during those eight years or so to two rounds of acute leukemia and a bone marrow transplant.
1: Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. We, we don't have to focus there, but let's, let's go there because that was a huge part of your life. So, at w- so what, where are you, what are you doing when you find out?
0: I am. Wow, I'm trying to place this. I am, I believe, understudying mm-hmm. in Brighton Beach Memoirs.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And. Uh, Matthew uh, Roderick. And Manny Eisenberg, mm-hmm. the great legendary Broadway producer, is debating. I believe I'm waiting to go out on tour with Master Harold and the boys. Uh, uh, and where they should send me? They were all his productions. And do I do I take over on Broadway? Do I do this? And 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 diagnosed with leukemia, and you know, in the hospital instead.
1: Okay. So a- and not only diagnosed, but I- it was. W- weren't you told you were terminal? Was it? I, 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 I'm trying to. I think.
0: I think. I think I was actually playing the lead in Brighton Beach Memoirs. I had replaced Matthew Broderick, then Fisher Stevens, then me. So that's what it was. I was playing the lead in Brighton Beach Memoirs, and they were talking about shifting me over to doing a different lead role on tour.
1: How, how did you um, figure out that you needed to go to the doctor? What, 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 what was happening to you?
0: Okay, I'm going to adjust that again. You're reminding me. This is funny. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought about this in a long time, mm-hmm. which is a, a healthy sign. Yeah. I had played the lead in Brighton Beach Memoirs. Mm-hmm. I was understudying in Biloxi Blues mm-hmm. and uh, about to go out on tour with one of their other plays. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was scheduled to go on stage on the Jewish holidays for Mark Nelson, the guy who was playing the role, Mm -hmm. the Jewish actor. Mm -hmm. All the Jewish understudies would go on as the understudies for the Jewish holidays for the Jewish actors who would take the (laughs) night off. (laughs) Uh, uh, And I had a cold that didn't go away. Cold, sore throat, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there were other things. There was like a weird kind of rash around my ankles and my waist. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I didn't think much of it. How long
1: were you living with all of that before you figured you should go get checked out?
0: Two or three weeks, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew I needed to get better to do the performances. Mm -hmm. And I went to the the well-known ear, nose, and throat doctor who treated all Broadway actors and singers and Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, also all kinds of rock stars and Mm -hmm. singers. Um, And it was in his office that I saw he had some concerns. He right away?
4: Uh, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. He wanted me to go get blood tests. Mm-hmm. He sent me to a blood lab. And when those results came back, I didn't know the meaning of them, but mm-hmm. he told me I needed to see a hematologist. Mm-hmm. So I guess I knew something was up because I know that uh, I called my parents. I was living on my own already for years. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was 24 years old. Mm-hmm. I'd been living independently in New York for seven years or so already. Oh, wow. i have been supporting myself as an actor for, I think... I think, six years already. Wow. Um, I thought
1: you were interning and asking them to pay you.
0: Well, that was for a year. Then yeah. then they started to pay. But I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that because it was actually after I got out of Juilliard. Mm-hmm. So I'd been supporting myself for the last four years or okay, so. Okay, that's yeah. still impressive, yeah. Um, there was some restaurant work in there, but <laughs> I'd been paying my own bills for four <laughs> years or so. Uh, uh, and I was starring on Broadway, for God's sake. I was 24, I was, I was starring on Broadway. Amazing. Um, and... Uh, I called my parents and they came to the doctor with me and my girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend is uh, Jackie Reingold, a, a terrific, terrific playwright who has since done a lot of television writing from uh, HBO's In Treatment, where she wrote the um, I
1: love that show. Hope
0: Davis storyline, to uh, Frankie and Whoever with uh, 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 Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. Oh, yes. It's on uh, Marta Coffin's mm-hmm. show, *Brain Dead, most uh-huh. recently, and she teaches writing at NYU. Um, so, we went, Mm -hmm. it was hours and hours, um, the doctor took blood, he said, we're gonna need to take a bone marrow sample, so I lay on a table and they screwed a needle into the back of my hip bone (sighs) and sucked out bone marrow for the first time, something that became routine for years after that, um, and we sat and waited for three or four hours in a waiting room, not knowing what was going on or why. Mm And uh, then he invited us into this very disheveled office, mm-hmm. uh, and said, "You know, I'm 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 afraid. I'm afraid it's not good news. It's
4: bad right news. There.
0: Yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid it's not good news. It's bad news. It's an acute myeloid leukemia. Um, and I was 24 years old, and you know, it was very cliched. And it's something my father muttered to himself on the sidewalk." outside afterward in the 98 degree heat as we tried to get a cab but couldn't get a cab back to my apartment um and i saw my father standing there muttering uh nothing's ever going to be the same again nothing that that nothing's ever going to be the same Mm -hmm. and i was uh, furious with him even in that moment for 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 saying that and Mm -hmm. thinking that and but uh, that's exactly the case i mean my life was altered forever from Mm -hmm. that moment on Mm -hmm. um i don't know if that's the same for everyone else uh what can I tell you? That's that's the truth of my existence. Mm-hmm. Um, those following five years became the defining five years of my life, and even at that time, I said, you know, nothing will, nothing will supersede this as the defining events of my life until someday maybe I get married and become a parent. And uh, I'm glad to say that's those mm-hmm. have both happened. Mm-hmm. I have a beautiful daughter about to turn ten years old whose actual conception and existence is statistically speaking even more unlikely than my own survival, which Mm -hmm. was quite a long shot. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of my psyche, Mm -hmm. those experiences from 24 to 29 years old were still, uh, I'm I'm not pleased to say, but the defining, uh, uh, shape-forming experiences of, of, of my life ever since.
1: How how do you think that journey? H- how did that affect what everything else means to you? Like what your career? D- how did it? Shi- how did it shift what your career meant to you?
0: Uh, well, you've tapped into one of the maybe more ironic angles of it, but the least fruitful mm-hmm. because the oddity of me mm-hmm. is. That it didn't shift those things at all, mm-hmm. really. I mean, I I went into that as an ambitious actor, mm-hmm. and I went through it thinking I wanted to come out and be a boxer because I just wanted to beat the shit out of people. Wow. <laughs> because I went through those experiences in, in an extremely angry fashion, mm-hmm. and they were also really gruesome experiences, and and um, nothing like what I expected to find. You know, the 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 minority of people who seemed really devoted to your well-being was startling to me. The way the institutions seemed to be designed to preserve themselves as opposed to preserve your existence what was all... And you became an activist w- there. W- what the first book that I wrote was about, Time yeah. on Fire, yeah. Um, but <laughs> within months, mm-hmm. I was back on Broadway in a Neil Simon play. And uh,
1: you had a funny story. I seem to recall about going into an audition, trying to decide whether or not to wear a wig. D- there was a story. I, I seem to recall a story about that.
0: Well, you know, I came out of that experience. There were there were there were there were ins and outs, mm-hmm. but I came out of that experience. It would have been 1985 or so when mm-hmm. I was in the first remission that lasted two years, mm-hmm. and I was going to auditions again. But my hair grew back then, so that wasn't such a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I wound up back on Broadway. I was doing Broadway Bound, playing mm-hmm. the lead, mm-hmm. taking over for Jonathan Silverman. And that's when the recurrence, the expected recurrence happened, even though I had doubled the average remission length. So two years into it, I'm starring on Broadway with Linda Lavin, huge hit play, John Randolph, Mm -hmm. legendary people, Mark Nelson playing my brother, Mm -hmm. the guy I had understudied in Biloxi Blues. And I got diagnosed and I was gonna have to go back in the hospital and then it was really, you had to get in remission to possibly have a bone marrow transplant, which Mm -hmm. was a very new procedure, still considered experimental or or your life was over mm-hmm. that was all because third remissions were rarely achieved and were much uh uh less lengthy mm-hmm. than first and second remissions mm-hmm. um and i actually continued doing the play for a week after that i said i want to keep working i want to keep doing it wow and i know everybody was kind of freaked out and and i had this talk where i met with the cast and in a, in a Kind of room like this, the green room, and talked about. And people said, "Well, do we need to be careful with you?" I said, "No, I'm actually I'm quite I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Other than having a, a, a deadly illness, <laughs> I'm actually fine." <laughs> and I looked up, and people were weeping, people oh. were crying, and oh. y- you know the effect. This was all brand new to me. I I didn't I didn't realize the effect I had on others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did it for a week. Uh, Halloween happened over that time, and then I realized this is really perverse, and I don't really, I don't really feel like going to the theater to make people laugh at night. Um, So I bowed out. I went into the hospital. I had massive, massive, massive chemotherapy treatments to get into a second remission and then had a great deal of difficulty recovering enough from that to qualify for the bone marrow transplant that I went to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore for. I had what's called an autologous bone marrow transplant, meaning there wasn't a donor. Mm -hmm. They remove presumably diseased cells from your own bone marrow Treat them what they call purging them outside your body mm-hmm. with chemotherapy chemicals directly, then reinfuse those as the, what they call the rescue dose. Wow. The you know the terminology is incredible. Um, they poison you to death. They give you the rescue mm-hmm. dose. Uh, if all goes well, mm-hmm. those bone marrow cells know to travel through your bloodstream back to the interior of your bones and begin to reproduce and repopulate. Hopefully, with some complex mathematical formula of a kill down to the such-and-such such power mm-hmm. that only the strongest cells survive, the, the least quickly reproducing cells, mm-hmm. because the fastest reproducing cells are the cancer cells, mm-hmm. and it, re- it, it populates enough to sustain your life mm-hmm. before you have a hemorrhage or an infection while you have no, no, no blood-making capabilities. Um, and it's recommended that you really isolate yourself for six months to a year after that. And it was it was a year later that I started to work again. And I got a call before I had said I'm ready to work from my agents who said, the New York Shakespeare Festival Public Theater is doing The Winter's Tale with Mandy Patinkin and Alfred Woodard, and would you like to go audition? And I went, okay. It was a few blocks from my house, and I went and auditioned. And, uh, Bill Hickey, another legendary mm-hmm. actor who was, who was in, um, um, uh, what's the Jack Nicholson, um, mm-hmm. Angelica Houston movie, uh, John Houston movie, um, yeah. you coming up with a title
1: yeah no you're, you're talking pritzy's to honor yeah thank you pritzy's
0: honor yeah. he was there mm-hmm. and they were pairing people off and they said okay you know you're going to read with bill hickey and i go in and, and i would say a few lines and bill would stop and turn to the people auditioning us and go he's great the kid's great he's <laughs> terrific he's terrific <laughs> and i thought okay so bill hickey's playing the role and they're pairing him off with people <laughs> i'd say a few more lines he's terrific the kid's great he's great and then i got offered the role and bill hickey was nowhere to be seen. Wow. It was just his way of managing the audition situation. Wow. Uh, But there was some part of the treatment that I couldn't complete Mm. because my blood counts hadn't returned to a certain level, Mm -hmm. and I had to bow out of that play as well Mm -hmm. to go back and complete those treatments because they suddenly came up enough. And then when that was over, uh, I went back to auditioning and being an actor. And within a few months, I got cast in the original production of Six Degrees of Separation Mm -hmm. uh, that became, you know, a huge, Mm -hmm. huge uh, uh, iconic uh, moment-defining cultural event in New York. Mm -hmm. So so those years from, let's say, 20 years old Mm -hmm. till 29 were a real uh, 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 fast shoot from 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 uh, cascade of professional successes through uh, 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 medical nightmares mm-hmm. and 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 really living with a knife at my throat mm-hmm. and even the six degrees experience. I mean, I was one year past the bone marrow transplant, which means I was still a year away from being considered most likely cured of the illness. Mm-hmm. So I was suddenly 29 years old with all these other people. Uh, there were there were there were the, the kind of parents and kids in that cast. So there mm-hmm. were all these other people in their late 20s, early 30s. And we really palled around together a lot. We were almost all single. Mm-hmm. We were almost all in therapy. <laughs> and here I was. At that time, my hair didn't grow back after the bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. So I'm this bald guy strapping some weird wig to his head every night to play this twenty year old college kid. Mm-hmm. I'm twenty nine. And after the play every night, the most legendary people in show business and life are coming backstage yeah.
4: to congratulate everyone mm-hmm.
0: and they're embracing everyone and, and I would have to if I wanted to get those accolades, you'd have I, to leave the wig on. I would have to introduce myself. <laughs> oh. Say, I'm the guy who played the kid up in the window who screamed <laughs> at his father <laughs> and the whole audience burst into applause that was well, that was you i don't, oh, i you know wow. to to the opening night party at tavern on the green i wore the wig <laughs> so that i could enjoy <laughs> yes. what everyone else was experiencing wow and 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 i and i could see around me i could see as i made jokes and did whatever i mean i made jokes that i thought were really funny and again i'd look up and i'd see that all the actresses were in tears oh. and i <laughs> and i thought i'd said something really dashing <laughs> um, and and i could see that people were responding to me a little bit like, who who is this guy and what's what's happened to him to make him the way he is? Mm. Uh, and I, I, you know, I felt very set apart. I, I had had a very different set of experiences mm-hmm. for the four to five years from from twenty four to twenty nine mm-hmm. than anybody around me. I oh didn't yeah. know anybody sixty five who'd been through what I'd been through. Mm-hmm. So it was it was very isolating. Um, it was. You know, I mean, difficult isn't a strong enough word. Mm-hmm. It was uh, uh, it was everything, but it didn't kill me. I mean, the joke I make in the book is, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But my realization was that what doesn't kill you fucks you up for a really long time, <laughs> and it's a miracle <laughs> if you ever get it back together again.
1: <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> and then,
0: And then there were my 30s of, you know, uh, single, searching for love, actor... On Broadway, in television, and films, and and destroying one relationship after another, and and uh, 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 really unable to a large extent to experience the gratitude mm. I knew I should feel over my miraculously saved life because I was so angry at the time that I had been cost, the time that had been taken from me in order to achieve that, and and, and, and that was uh, that was a long struggle.
1: But you, d- but. The thing that's amazing is that you did find that gratitude. H- how did you How did you find the gratitude?
0: Boy, I wrote a book about it. I don't. You know sure how did. I don't know how to answer the question. <laughs> how did I find it? Um, uh,
1: b- what wh- What was? I guess I kept at it.
0: hmm <laughs> what I I kept at it, and over time I grew up. Uh, but I was I was definitely a turn or two behind
4: mm-hmm. my peers, mm-hmm.
0: even though, h- I mean, here's the dichotomy. You know, I was. I was decades ahead of my peers in terms of having a preview of where we are all inevitably headed. Mm-hmm. I had been reduced to an old dying man mm-hmm. at 24, 25, 26, mm-hmm. 27, 28, and 29 years old. Mm-hmm. And then I was a uh, healthy guy through my 30s, but who had not matured socially,
4: mm-hmm.
0: who had not really matured professionally, mm-hmm. even though I was precocious at that mm-hmm. earlier. Uh a lot of my advantage in pursuing roles in New York was that I was doing it from 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Most people got out of college at 21 and they started. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, a two to four year head start depending mm-hmm. on the school years. Um, but by the time I reemerged at 29, 30, I had, had four to five years stolen from
4: mm-hmm.
0: me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's in terms of professional experience, mm-hmm. life experience, mm-hmm. dating experience, everything. Mm-hmm while having been oddly aged, mm. uh, <laughs> or curdled, if you <laughs> wanna put it that way. Um, so uh, that was a distinct perspective mm-hmm. to go through one's 30s and even 40s with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of my blessings and, and what uh, allowed me to experience gratitude was that I resisted, not in dashing fashion necessarily, but I resisted a lot of the pressures. I mean, I was engaged twice and didn't get married and uh, uh, certainly offended a lot of people in that process. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I waited and, and waited until I met my current wife and got married for the first time at 43 mm-hmm. and had my first kid at 46, mm-hmm. in retrospect, those came to be revealed as very wise, canny decisions mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have been ready for it any time earlier.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So, all right, so we're... We've Spent a lot of time talking, but this has been fascinating. But but let's fast forward a little bit. So for me, you became huge with Sex and the City. How how, how did um, how did that whole how did that Sex and the City thing happen?
0: Uh, boy. Um <coughs> I'm trying to relate it to when uh, uh, and how many years later. It was a lot of years later than Six mm-hmm. Degrees.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Six Degrees of Separation happened. I left that and I, I co-starred on Broadway in I Hate Hamlet, mm-hmm. Paul Rudnick's first play, mm-hmm. which for me was disastrous. I was co-starring with the legendary and, and legendarily difficult Nicole Williamson, who uh, was a very troubled guy but a brilliant actor mm-hmm. who, who hauled off and smacked me with a sword in the middle of a performance.
1: And what did you do?
0: I, I left the stage yes, and never went did. back.
1: Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: which I thought would be the end of it, except that two days later, it was on every front page and was repeated for years afterwards, mm-hmm. and and until right up until he died a few years ago, and I was in every one of his obituaries, <laughs> which made me think, ah. fucking hell, that means he's gonna be in every one of mine.
1: Wow. <laughs>
0: so we're united forever Wow. in that sense. Wow. Um, and his son recently mocked me on Facebook uh, as a Trump supporter, so we can get to that later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, there you go.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. And my dad. And my dad smacked Evan Handler.
4: <laughs> oh God.
0: Um, so so there was that, and then I started to. I, after that, I, I start I went. I went and did a James Brooks television show. Started working in television. Did some really bad shows, but also did some some very good ones, mm-hmm. um, and. I had a a, a breakup with a fiancé and a terrific depression following Mm 9-11, and for the first time, instead of just going to LA for pilot season, I moved all my belongings to Santa Monica, California for the first time and thought, wow, this looks a little too much like Florida, but it's really (laughs) pleasant
4: (laughs) compared to where (laughs) I've been
0: living in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I feel more relaxed. Mm -hmm. It's really good. And four days after my stuff arrived, I flew back to New York and auditioned for Sex in the City. Wow. Wow. And they had somebody in mind already, Mm -hmm. terrific stage actor in New York that I know and Mm -hmm. knew, uh, and they said, can you go away for three or four hours and come back and read with Kristen? And I did that, and then I had to wait several days back Mm -hmm. in Santa Monica before finding out I got cast. Mm -hmm. And the way they did those things back then, Sex in the City, Mm -hmm. when they knew they had a storyline for a new man Mm -hmm. that was gonna last, Mm -hmm. they would hire you for the last few episodes of one season. Mm-hmm. to then decide whether to pick up the option on you mm-hmm. for the next season.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And I had a rocky landing there. Um, I had already been told a number of times in my career that this job is going to change your life.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And my way of dealing that with that over time had become to just nod politely and put it aside.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I landed at Sex in the City, something that was already, I think, six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh Really? Yeah, it seems like you were always I there. I can barely remember I you not being there. I was only in that show for about eighteen months. Wow, that was about okay. my working time there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know they were quite puzzled by my aloof attitude, mm-hmm. and there were some missteps on my part. There mm-hmm. were some missteps in communication. I remember from there was a story about keys, side. but
1: we'll, we'll we'll.
0: I'm not even sure what that. Mean. I don't there was a
1: story, something you were supposed to do with your keys. That it, w- it was. We discussed it in the last interview. That in a scene that you had a. Well, Falling out with somebody about...
0: Yeah, they weren't happy about mm-hmm. my attitude. Mm-hmm. They weren't happy about my performance. And then that scene finally where Harry shows Charlotte a, a, an apartment, a kind of grotesque mm-hmm. singles guy apartment mm-hmm. with a bed and a r- mirror over the bed and shades that would go up and down. In desperation, I asked the prop guy for car keys, gum to chew, right. and I just mm-hmm. kind of like, just like threw on a character like a jacket mm-hmm. to try to impress people because... You know, I had been called aside and let known that 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 um, something was off. They mm-hmm. felt with me, and uh, uh, <laughs> um, and I pleased them that day, and and seemed to please them from that moment on. But y- y- you know, y- you can get told that a lot, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I don't think it was an unreasonable attitude that I had by that point. I mean, I had been in the, I had been in the business for for years already,
4: mm-hmm.
0: twenty years. I don't know. Wh- I don't know what it was at that mm-hmm. point. Um, Yeah, 20 years. Uh, uh, So, so, I don't know, ask me another question.
1: Okay, so, so you said that you were kind of difficult, so.
0: No, well, I really wasn't that difficult. Um, I was just not overly impressed. I wasn't, I wasn't I wasn't down on my knees with gratitude mm-hmm. of thank you for bringing me into this world mm-hmm. because I realize you you have changed my life in a way that hasn't revealed itself yet. Mm-hmm. Because none of the other experiences where I'd been told that was going to happen did happen. Mm-hmm. The fact is, Sex in the City did alter my existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it coincided perfectly with meeting the woman who then became my wife. Mm-hmm. I had my first date with her just after my first two or three episodes of Sex in the City had aired mm-hmm. and we walked from 68th Street in Manhattan down to 44th Street to go see Stanley Tucci and Edie Falco in a play on Broadway mm-hmm. and we couldn't make it to the theater on time because people in Times Square were freaking out and mm-hmm. surrounding me mm-hmm. and asking for pictures and shouting from across two avenues, Harry, we <laughs> love you, we love you. <laughs> and I was having this very intense experience of realizing that this has never happened to me before. Mm -hmm. This woman who I feel like is the kind of woman I've wanted to meet my whole life Mm -hmm. is having a different experience than she would have been having Mm -hmm. if this wasn't going on. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't know that this is the first time this is happening to me. Mm -hmm. And if it was me and a woman that that was happening to, it would certainly change my experience of it. Mm -hmm. And wanting to turn to her and in spite of my strong feelings say, could we pick this up again in about six months? after i go and enjoy this other thing that's suddenly presenting itself to wow. me wow <laughs> so you know i had two incompatible fantasies occurring simultaneously
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow and which one did you pick
0: <laughs> i chose elisa atti yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and uh, uh uh we got married a year later mm-hmm. and um there's a whole other story we won't go into here but it's cause it's it's it's, uh, it's too much but there was a there was an unplanned pregnancy um mm-hmm. and uh uh when we decided we wanted to start a family, I the unplanned pregnancy had made me believe that I was one of the one out of ten or so that I had since then learned regenerated fertility out of mm-hmm. time without being warned. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought like a a, a a recall notice should have been sent out like a car. <laughs> 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 um <laughs> warning uh (laughs) uh and then when i got myself tested for the first time learned that 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 my sperm count was no different than it had been Mm -hmm. years and years earlier immediately after the bone marrow transplant um you know it was a miracle thing. decidedly infertile Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 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 the day after learning that we conceived our daughter Mm -hmm. so um yeah there were there continued to be And okay, so to get back to your question, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there Mm -hmm. of marrying Elisa Atti and having my daughter conceived and born, Mm -hmm. uh, I uh, came to begin to appreciate some of the gratitude that I knew I should have been experiencing for the decade or two prior uh, that had been long delayed, but it it really did take... It took 20 years Mm -hmm. of, 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 of life to... And I can't even say that I began to feel much safer, mm-hmm. even though I did. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the 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 terror and vulnerability <coughs> for me mm-hmm. uh, didn't really dissipate that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, it wasn't comparable to what it was long ago. So I'm saying two <laughs> things at once. <coughs> but um, while... It recedes tremendously into the background. Mm -hmm. It is very easily and quickly accessible Mm -hmm. through any number of prompts, any number of triggers. And in spite of the incredible gratitude I came to feel Mm -hmm. and the miracle that I felt of my daughter's conception and birth, the fact is I was brought back into touch with it tremendously by becoming a parent in a way that was extremely uncomfortable for me Mm -hmm. for the first few years of my daughter's life because I thought, oh, I didn't get how much parenthood was gonna put me back in touch with feelings of risk and vulnerability. Mm. And I didn't realize how far I would traveled from it Mm -hmm. until I realized how vulnerable and risky having a little child felt.
1: This is a perfect segue to what's going on today. Because we know what's happened with your career, but everybody but knows. But there's so happened. much of my career. Well, yeah, still to I cover. know. But but we but we <laughs> know Californication. <laughs> and we know we know what happened because we all watched it happen and and experienced it with you. But the vulnerability that you're talking about is exactly uh, what I want to talk to you about uh, bef- for this last part. Um, because I've been watching what you've been saying on Facebook. I feel a kinship to what you've been feeling rather than going through all of the trauma of the experience, maybe we can talk about the hope, well, uh, hope is hard, of where you are today, what um, what you're taking forward. I, I, I want there to be some hope. I want there to be... A path. I want there t- I don't want it to be hopelessness, which is how I've been feeling. I've had a hard time getting out of bed. I've been working in bed in pajamas till four in the m- afternoon till I have to leave. I've been eating ice cream. I've been, you know, just hopeless. What do I tell my children? I mean, it's just been horrific. So so tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're doing.
0: Um <coughs> I'll tell you what I'm doing, but uh, I'm going to uh, uh, precede it by mm-hmm. echoing what you're saying mm-hmm. um, uh, and, 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 and not giving you what you're hoping for uh-huh. because I, I do happen to think that we have dramatically punched through and entered a dark, dark, treacherous period of history in more dramatic fashion than most reveal themselves. And I'm astonished at the degree to which I see people, in spite of the many people who are feeling like you're feeling and who are alarmed, the tremendous number of people and the tremendous number of high government officials Mm -hmm. who aren't responding to it as what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm deeply troubled. Deeply troubled uh, by the attitude that gets sent to me of, um, you need to wait and see. Because. Uh,
1: uh that's what they said in Nazi Germany.
0: Uh, well, I wasn't gonna say it that way. Mm-hmm. But, l- and, 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 and that's, I don't say it that way only because it's so easily dismissible. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there mm-hmm. are there are many who feel you can't compare anyone to Hitler or Nazis unless they've already killed six million people. Mm-hmm. So let's put that aside for okay. a second. Let's just say, wait and see. So what does that mean exactly? Mm-hmm. Because I, I have waited and I have seen.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I see an authoritarian figure mm-hmm. who hasn't pretended to be anything else, mm-hmm. who has stated very precisely his intentions to intimidate and actually change constitutional allowances for press freedom. Mm -hmm. I see someone who has very purposefully, even within just the past few days, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 publicly created a crisis for a major corporation, Boeing, because they made a public statement contrary to his desires. We were talking about that. I mean, these are things things, that no businessman does, much less a president-elect or government official. Um, I have seen the appointments being made. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything that has been spoken that's intended, Mm -hmm. other than make America great again, Mm -hmm. which is itself uh, 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 a really hackneyed nationalist cry, Mm -hmm. um, has made extremely clear the intent. And the people who have been chosen are uh, 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 a grotesque cabal Mm -hmm. that make no pretense to do anything good for the United States, the Earth, or the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the EPA is called the Environmental Protection Agency. You're not supposed to appoint someone whose life's work has been to work on behalf of fossil fuel companies ravaging the environment. You're supposed to appoint someone who acts as a barrier against those industries. So, I mean, I'm not equipped here tonight. I don't have notebooks in front of me. Mm -hmm. And besides which, I'm not a geopolitical expert. Mm -hmm. I'm a guy. I'm a guy who's lived with his eyes open. Mm -hmm. So, the intents have been shouted from the rooftops. There is no waiting and seeing Mm -hmm. because the intents have been made clear and actions are already being taken. Mm -hmm. You know, To me, the equivalent is really if somebody comes to your town wielding weapons
4: mm-hmm.
0: and everybody says well you know, you don't know what the intent is just mm-hmm. wait and see mm-hmm. and then and then that person lays everybody down in the street mm-hmm. face down mm-hmm. but you know just just you know <laughs> wait and see you don't know what and 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 only only when the person starts shooting people in the back of the head mm-hmm. is that is that when you say oh now i get it mm-hmm. so i uh, y- you know so what you, do we you, do? You, you see that I converse <laughs> kind of relentlessly on Facebook mm-hmm. with a lot of people who have differing views than I do. And, and I can be extremely brusque mm-hmm. with some of them. But I also do try to engage and, and go back and forth. Mm-hmm. But the rationales that I see are almost universally, even if I can sympathize with them, they are inconsistent, mm-hmm. they're short-sighted, I get people who are suffering economically. Mm -hmm. It still wouldn't make me pull the lever for, you know, a bloviating con man who demonizes others. Mm -hmm. And my hatred for any particular politician would Mm -hmm. never make me pull the lever Mm -hmm. for that same bloviating con man. And the false equivalencies in the press and the things that have been revealed, I mean, uh, who who I should say, the bloviating con man who um, acknowledged and encouraged foreign interference in our election process mm-hmm. um, and accepted help from the FBI. And, 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 and what do we say even to what's been revealed very clearly as people's willingness to rabidly latch on to and insist upon the truthfulness of the most insane false news stories. You know, I have corresponded with and engaged in conversation with people who insist that Hillary Clinton and John Podesta were and are involved in childhood sexual slavery rings and cannot be talked out of it. And as you present evidence and chip away at it, it then maybe, maybe regresses back to, but okay, maybe that's not exactly what was going on, but there's so much out there, there must be something going on.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And what you see is, you know, if you track for 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, since since the Reagan administration, there has been a successful war engaged against uh, truth and fact. Mm-hmm. And if we have arrived at a moment now as it seems, where actual fact and provable data carry no influence whatsoever mm-hmm. versus completely invented stories, uh, I don't know what to tell you. That is that is a treacherously dangerous place from which, I don't know how a society recovers. So, so that's why it terrifies me. And that to me is the crux of it actually right there. I, what I've been doing is concentrating on that aspect of it. I've been concentrating on, one, <clears throat> how do you get news media to stop willfully indicting itself mm-hmm. by telling less than the truth? and failing to call out lies and outright falsehoods when they present themselves. And the false equivalencies so many news outlets have fallen, uh, 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 I say, victim to, mm-hmm. but have have willingly mm-hmm. uh, uh, geared themselves toward in order to retain viewership and ratings or whatever the numerous reasons are mm-hmm. because they're entertainment outlets. Mm-hmm. So how do you get news back to what it used to be? How do you restore people's faith in actual news outlets that mean something, and maybe even more difficult, how do you get people to reject outlets that feed them some kind of emotional experience that they crave, mm-hmm. but that are completely phony and false? And I don't know the answer to that question, but it's what I've been trying to wrestle with.
1: Do you have any... Okay, so
0: oh, look, the, well, I let's support, wait and I see. Support, I support people. Look, I think we live, we live in... Uh, a, a, a capitalist society mm-hmm. that has grown notably sick mm-hmm. through its devotion to a kind of pure capitalism. That, for the, the um, let's say, the regressive forces have successfully uh, turned people away from what was never labeled as but was a kind of hodgepodge of capitalism and socialist programs that kept our society running pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, what you could see pretty well from Civil War era through post-Civil Rights era was progress being made. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, very, it's very, very presumptuous of me to speak uh, about any African-American civil rights issues, but just to use it as, as an example, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the horrors of the Civil Rights era were preferable to slavery. And the lack of progress demonstrated by police killings in recent years with Barack Obama as president Mm -hmm. were better than the civil rights era. So there has been progress Mm -hmm. as slow and indictable as that progress might be. Mm -hmm. We are now in the throes of what I believe and predict will be the most forcefully regressive era in in any of our lifetimes Mm -hmm. where things will be thrown back into... I think, grotesque states, mm-hmm. um, all evidence shows that. And I don't mean just, I don't mean like read-between-the-lines evidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've come out and said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yes. and the appointments show it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. all generals right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, <coughs> so uh, to what try do you do? I speak my mind okay. on Facebook. I speak okay. my mind on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I write articles. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. I haven't actually written any articles since the election mm-hmm. because I, I inhibit myself... Because I think, well, who, you know, I, I've spoken to the people who are going to read this and reject it. Mm-hmm. Because anything I say and any reference I give to the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Guardian or any news sources that I know of mm-hmm. as flawed. Mm-hmm. But with rigorous fact-checking and not anything like infallible but reasonably dependable mm-hmm. with reasonable questioning. mm mm-hmm. Uh, will say that's nonsense, that's garbage, that's, that's liberal propaganda. Mm-hmm. I know that what Fox News and Breitbart are telling me is true. Mm-hmm. So the people who are sending um, images of corporations' ads on Breitbart mm-hmm. and, and sending it to those corporations and mm-hmm. saying you shouldn't be doing this, mm-hmm. absolutely, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't see any solution personally because, Oi. I mean, l- l- listen, <laughs> face up to it. The executive, judicial, uh, all branches of government, all three branches of government are in the hands now not only of Republicans, but of people even more rabid than the Tea Party Republicans. Mm -hmm. These are people, I mean, you know, Donald Trump and his close advisor, Steve Bannon, Mm. who has no business being anywhere near the White House have both stated their belief that it you know what's required is destruction of our society and riots in the street before anything can change to what they want it to be i happen to believe donald Trump is a, donald clump <laughs> donald trump donald trump is is i really think that he is is in his genius is nothing more than your average kleptocrat which is someone who really wants a position from which he can enrich himself his family and his mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. and he's going to reap and rape everything he can from this nation mm-hmm. in that pursuit.
2: Mm-hmm. I happen
0: to think that Steve Bannon has made whatever deal he has with Donald Trump uh, who I don't think wants to be bothered with with day-to-day business mm-hmm. and who I think has been given carte blanche to you know what send me whoever you want me to interview for my approval and basically do whatever you want to do because w- w- what I see is, is a cabal of of, of bigots and racists and, 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 and military figures being put into place to form a society that I won't recognize. Um, okay, so, so... So, I don't see solutions <laughs> because can you do it economically when 50% of the population backs them and, 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 and seeks and is okay with an authoritarian figure like that? Mm, that's pretty doubtful. You certainly can't do it through legislative measures. Mm. You don't have the votes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've spoken to people, either journalists or people in government, Mm -hmm. who say, well, you know, Obama met with him and by flattering him got him to consider Romney because from what I've been told, Romney is actually the democratic and progressive choice to Mm -hmm. hopefully get in there to have some grown-ups in the room to say when things get really fucking scary, no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and think about that angle of things. So you can't do it legislatively. Mm -hmm. You can't do it through economic pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think the only way that things are going to be halted and saved is hundreds of thousands of people in the street Mm -hmm. on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. It is going to take massive, massive civil disobedience and disruption Mm -hmm. And the scary part of that is that's what I think Steve Bannon drools for. Mm. So, you know, these are people who are very skilled at um, playing upon the emotions of people who my appeals offend. Mm -hmm. So I I, I don't know what the end game is, but uh, I do think that calls for organization, calls for resistance, Mm on the most grassroots level um, mm-hmm. are essential, mm-hmm. but I don't know what form they need to take exactly. Mm-hmm. I went to um, Bo Willemond, the mm-hmm. former showrunner of mm-hmm. uh, House of Cards, has been doing a national tour trying to organize people town by town, mm-hmm. and I went and I raised my hand and I said, mm-hmm. I'll lead a group you know, mm-hmm. uh, based on accuracy and accountability in the media. Mm-hmm. And I got 35 emails from people who wanna do it, and then I thought, well, okay, I don't know what to tell them to do, mm-hmm. So I started to reach out to the Annenberg Center mm-hmm. and factcheck.org and say, do you need 35 volunteers? Mm-hmm. What can you tell me to tell these people mm-hmm. to do? Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't actually found the outlet for that. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are people who are going to be more talented at that who I'll say, well, then you be the leader of the mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have to be ways of shaming corporations mm-hmm. to reject this mm-hmm. because corporations are running and are going to run this mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. Um, And it is going to take massive resistance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And unfortunately, it's going to take some time before the people who have in our culture, because I don't mean to discount this, there are people who have great, great reason Mm -hmm. to be troubled by how their plight has been going for Mm -hmm. many, many years. Mm -hmm. Um, The culture has conspired against them for Mm -hmm. three decades. Mm -hmm. And a lot has been getting worse for them. You can also say, compare yourself to people in other parts of the world, and maybe you should put things in perspective, Mm -hmm. but um, things have deteriorated here. Uh, I happen to think that they've made a terrible mistake in their choice of response to Mm -hmm. that. I do think as flawed as she is and was, Hillary Clinton would have been a far preferable Mm
4: -hmm.
0: choice Mm -hmm. and that their lot would have been far better than it's going to be. I think the people in control now... Are going to exhibit great skill at offering them uh, 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 tokens mm-hmm. that are going to make them feel soothed, like this carrier deal, mm-hmm. which is going to save very few hundred of jobs mm-hmm. at huge, huge taxpayer cost. Mm-hmm. Um, And the bigger, the much bigger, even on the way here on NPR, I heard it discussed, the much bigger danger to jobs in this country is going to be automation. Mm -hmm. It's not immigration. Mm -hmm. And that automation is not going to be stopped. Mm -hmm. Software is going to replace jobs.
1: I just heard about something they're doing in supermarkets that's going to do away with a whole load of jobs. And the
0: options are really Mm going to be something approaching what's being experimented with now, which is government giving minimal sustenance money to people. Mm-hmm. not even for working,
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, to be citizens mm-hmm. <laughs> and to contribute in other ways, mm-hmm. or it's going to become an automated authoritarian society, and my fear is the people who will choose the latter.
1: <sighs> well, we could we could talk about... I could listen to you for hours where, where we uh, Okay, so before we go... To I kind mean, of other
0: f- actions people can take besides, you know, taking screenshots of ads on Breitbart are uh, uh, you must pressure your representatives. Mm-hmm. You must pressure them. You know, a good example is, look, Nancy Pelosi has been a terrific figure in many ways and is an indictable figure in, mm-hmm. in many people's eyes and in many ways. But when she issues a statement saying that the appointment of Steve Bannon is troublesome, or uh, even if her words were unacceptable, that's a different statement than the person who says, this must be rescinded, mm-hmm. this cannot stand. Mm-hmm. And Nancy Pelosi needs to be pushed to make the second mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. everyone needs to. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and when I hear from really highly placed journalists who've been in the rooms with all these people, including Obama, who say that the strategy is gonna be to preserve as much of his uh, legacy as possible by flattering Donald Trump I I happen to think that that's uh, a, a a startling startlingly naive mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. These these are people who have, I mean, just take Merrick Garland. If you just take it as a test of wills, mm-hmm. they just said to a, a president who still has a year remaining on his term, tough shit, you can't appoint a Supreme Court justice we say no. And the entire Democratic Party and population of the United States has said, okay. You think that's where they're going to stop? No, it's a total bully mentality.
1: Everything is a bully mentality right now. The fact
0: that that has been allowed Mm -hmm. means that the door is open for everything. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, Mm -hmm. everything will be taken until people say no, Mm -hmm. no more. Mm -hmm. And let's wait and see uh, that ain't gonna cut it.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Evan, I am. Um, I'm very grateful that. Uh, <sighs> I'm not very grateful for what you share because it really depresses my fear is, the is, shit you know, out of me. <laughs> I,
0: I don't mean, I, I, my fear is I become the left wing Dennis Miller. <laughs> you know, I'm not like a a a a nine eleven freakout artist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been explicitly mm-hmm. said or done.
1: Okay, so now just to end the show on a more upbeat <laughs> note, we're going to go away from that topic completely, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you a question I ask everybody before we leave, which is, um, do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything that you indulge in that you have a little bit of shame about that you hope nobody's watching or that you kind of go, oh, I," or, w- food, television, music, is there anything that you indulge in that you kind of feel weird that you do?
0: Again, I wish people could see my face. <laughs> uh who on earth would answer that question honestly in the first everybody place? Has an- has <laughs> every- everybody
1: has answered. Everybody has As a matter of fact, why like, Bill answered if it, I could, that he if I, off. if I had a magic
0: <laughs> power right now, it would be to go <laughs> and have all of them appear right now <laughs> and 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 inadvertently blurt out what they actually didn't tell you.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. Ah,
0: um, I won't answer that question honestly. Okay. I'll talk about food and wine and drink. Okay,
1: anything, one uh, thing, uh, pick a thing, which are
0: embarrassing enough. Okay, pick a thing. Um. Yeah, I, 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 I. I struggle when people ask me now, what do you do for fun? What's your hobby? Because mm-hmm. actually, most of the things I used to do for fun, I don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't sit around and, and listen to my records looking at the liner notes. Mm-hmm. I don't play tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I rarely go out in the wilderness for hikes. Mm-hmm. I never was a surfer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like to cook. And I've largely stopped cooking because I gained weight mm-hmm. some years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I was referred to as, you know, a chubby guy on television mm-hmm. when wasn't really that chubby mm-hmm. uh, uh but then I lost you know 15 pounds mm-hmm. and people thought I had transformed um even even my pal Duchovny you mm-hmm. know treated me as if I was John Candy <laughs> saying something <laughs> about how Evan's one of the few guys who lost weight and is still funny <laughs> it's like I lost 15 fucking pounds <laughs> dude what you know <laughs> li- what, are you, what are you talking about uh <laughs> uh uh, uh and and I really like you know I, 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 I drink wine um mm-hmm. um uh, uh since it's not a problem for me mm-hmm. most of the time
4: mm-hmm.
0: uh, uh, alcohol is a is a is a is a recreational drug of choice okay um in the evening
4: okay uh
0: uh so you know
1: we'll take that as an answer take
0: take that you and your recovery friends I um <laughs> but I do like to cook and eat decadent food um okay. in fact. Many of the vacations I take are geared toward. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my wife's from Italy, from mm-hmm. a small town, and and she and my daughter spend time in a very small, very dull Italian town mm-hmm. that doesn't even have pretty architecture mm-hmm. in the summer. <laughs> so, so on the way there and back, because it's a 14-hour trip, mm-hmm. I stop in some great cities. Mm-hmm. I stop in Paris. I stop in London. Mm-hmm. I go to Rome. Mm-hmm. I go to Florence, and I eat my way through these towns. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I've become a like a gastronomical tourist. Uh, uh, I like cuisine. There Excellent. you go. Well so uh, thank you. Weighing hundred fifty five pounds is pretty good for, <laughs> for somebody like that. Yes, it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Evan, thank you so much for uh for being here and um and I hope that uh
0: And let me say it for some of the people listening. Who gives a fuck what you think, Handler?
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I give a fuck and, and uh I, I give um two possibly three and a half fucks. Okay yeah. There you go. So you get uh, two fucks up, and uh, thanks for being here,
0: Evan. Thank you. Thanks, Vicky. Take care.
1: So you guys, that was that was, you know, there was there some shows just have to be longer. There was just no way to stop that train because it was too important that that get into the station. And for me, the takeaway with Evan, um, you know, the career stuff was great, and he's he's done so much. But I can't even think about that now because what Evan has instilled in me is that it's not enough to talk about how I'm feeling. And it's not enough to send emails. I have to stand up and I have to march, which I planned on doing anyway at the LA b- version of the Women's March, but we have to mobilize. We do have to take to the streets. He scared the fuck out of me. And um, and I needed to be scared. And I think that's really the takeaway too, is that we have to get the people that have the power to do something, to get scared and to take action and to mobilize. And and that's what I'm taking away from this. What do you guys got?
2: I I agree. We all have to get very busy. We can't be complacent. We can't wait and see. Maya Angelou teaches, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump has shown us who he is. Be afraid Mm -hmm. and get busy. It almost feels like with all of the negativity that's pulsing through the bloodstream, of america that we need a bone marrow transplant to fix this too many people are being fed false ideas and they're angry at the wrong people and i don't know what the course correction is it's really it's really unsettling I um, yeah how about you dj
3: um terrifying i was just left in kind of a stupor of like depression by the end of that honestly it was all things that i've thought and, and have already talked about with people but you know just hearing it all lined up again it's uh it's it's <laughs> like it's like the election just happened last night now to mm-hmm.
1: me <laughs> it, and it's like his prognosis what, like what really terrified me was that his prognosis is not even for the next 4 years his prognosis is for the rest of our lives which i t- i totally hope he's completely of co- i i i pray he's wrong i believe we can prove him wrong but the only way we're going to prove them wrong is if we get up off our asses and if we...
3: Well, people need to do things. And because the people in that are coming into power, they're, you know, they're not going to stop. So you well have to give them reason to.
1: There's more of us. Yeah. There's, there's more of us, but we just have to show ourselves. We have to show ourselves. Stand Good up people ourselves. have
2: to do the right thing and the hard thing. And it's going to be hard. Wow. Well, um
1: all of you out there listening in Cyberland, take to the streets. So you've been listening to The Road Taken, new so shows every Tuesday. Be this is a radio-free be be podcast be here whenever you are you on so iTunes, so on SoundCloud, so on Stitcher, on TuneIn. Oh, yes, I'll we are everywhere. But the easiest way to probably find us is on my website, which is Vicki Abelson.com. But you got to spell it right. That's the bitch. Okay. vickiabelso com. And I'm also on Facebook at Vicki Abelson, on Twitter at Vicki Abelson, on Instagram at Vicki Abelson, on Google Plus is Vicki. Abelson, as Vicki yeah, because I'm very original with the names there. So anyway, vickiabelson.com, find us, come back here every Tuesday, but you can listen whenever the hell you want. You can download, you can listen in the car, I could wake you up in the morning. (laughs) Anyway, hope to see you next week.